good stuff. If you were to head out these doors, let, let's say that, that we uh, were somehow able to all head out this morning and get on a tour bus together, and we went on a little journey uh, around the island, we would notice something rather, rather interesting. This wonder, this interesting thing that we would see in our city, it would continue if we took that tour bus and we traveled south and we kind of went through Coopville and, and Green Bank and Freeland and we ended our journey down the south end of the island in Clinton. Because just in this 37 miles or so trip, we would notice something or probably not notice something because it's come, become somewhat normal to us. And it, it's, not the, it's not the beauty of this place, although this place is beautiful to live, amen? Gorgeous. It's not that. Sometimes we can get so familiar with that, we forget what we have. Uh, it's not that. It's not the beauty of the island. It's, it's not the, the mountain peaks that surround us. It's not the deer that think that they own the road here on the island. I swear, on Sunday mornings, most Sunday mornings, I'm heading here early, and there's like a whole family of deer just hanging out at the cross-section of Whidbey and Crosby, like in the middle of the road. Like, can you move now, please? Like, anyway. It's not that. We would notice something that's, that's scattered around various places, around our island, different shapes and sizes. And at, at one time, and maybe it's a question you've had even as you've driven into church today, you'd, you'd wonder why. Why is this the case? This morning, around this island, and actually over 30 locations, there are people gathering just like us to worship. In all different churches of shapes and sizes and denominational beliefs. If you've ever asked the question, why, we're going to get into some of that over the next five weeks in this series that we're doing. Maybe that's been confusing to you. We're, we're starting a series that will go for five weeks on the background of why this is the case. And my hope in this series is that we learn from history and that we reflect on our own lives and then we ask the question, Lord, what are, you, what are you saying? What are you speaking to us today? What are you stirring in us today? What are you, what are you creating in us today? What are you doing in us? The series title is The Five Solas. You're probably familiar with this. Uh, by the 20th century, this became a way of packaging the teaching that was around a period of time in our history called, anybody know? The Reformation. Yeah, the solace, yes. And, and this teaching changed the course of history. So we're going to spend a week on each one of these. Here they are, grace alone, faith alone. Next one, Christ alone, scripture alone, and glory of God alone. And there's a reason that these things became kind of a rallying cry because the reformers saw some inconsistencies in the Catholic Church. And without getting too much into the weeds this morning, because I know how much you love being in the weeds of history, <laughs> up until the 15th century, the Catholic Church stood alone, really, as representing Christianity. There was one major schism in 1054 where the Roman Catholic Church broke away in the Eastern Orthodox Church that kind of branched in 1054. 
But prior to that, the Catholic Church kind of was Christianity. Catholicism represented faith, and you were kind of enmeshed in it. It was just like the way of life. You didn't really question it. It It just was. Anything that came against the Catholic faith or the Catholic Church was heresy and was snuffed out. And this is where you get the period of time called the Crusades, not a brighter part of our history, the church crushing people in the name of God. If uh, church history is interesting to you, I want to recommend a book today, uh, Church History in Plain Language, just a small book. Uh, But it, it seriously is, if you are interested in some of the history of where Christianity came from and how it formed over time, this is probably one of the most accessible, from my perspective and what I've read, most accessible histories to be able to just read through. It's like a story. And there's so much to learn from history, but to boil it down for our series, again, in the Middle Ages, Catholicism kind of represented Christianity. If you wanted to be a Christian, if you wanted to be a part of a Christian community, you were, became Catholic. You were part of the Catholic tradition. And you placed yourself under the leadership and the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. Now, today, things are different. I read an article this week that there are roughly 200 different denominations in the U.S. That's probably a conservative number. Listen to this. There's well over 40,000 worldwide. And that's just in Christianity. That's not, that's not representing other religions. 40,000 <laughs> denominations. It's just wild. Uh, even in this room, uh, it fascinates me as I get to know stories over time to learn your story and to learn about your religious background because in this room this morning, some of us grew up Catholic. That is our actual story. Some of us grew up Lutheran, Baptist, Methodist, <coughs> Assemblies of God. I'm going to take a drink of tea. Yeah. <laughs> maybe your story, uh, you connected with Christ the King or the Church of God. Maybe, maybe you were in a Presbyterian movement. This church that you're sitting in right now is a four-square church, if you didn't know that, which is Pentecostal. And we find our roots back in the 1900s. We'll talk about that at lunch today. Today we celebrate 100 years of being a movement. Here's what we all have in common today. No matter what, where your story, where you've been connected, where your family's been connected, if you trace it back, the history, every single one of these movements, denominations, you either find its roots in the Reformation or the Reformation is what made way for your denomination to be a thing. So what was the Reformation? I'm not going to do it justice today. You might have to do a little work for yourself on this. There are a lot of people that were involved in the Reformation. A lot of people. A lot of things that led to the Reformation. But there's one person who tends to be the person we talk about with the Reformation, and that person is Martin Luther. Some of you paid attention in school. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Luther's testimony is, is, is fascinating. Because he's really not different than you and I. In his 20s, he was attempting to kind of chart his own course and, and start his own career, and so he went to school, and he did what his dad 
was kind of wanting to do. He wanted his dad wanted him to be a lawyer, and so he kind of headed on that track. And in 1502, he gets a bachelor's degree. In 1505, he gets a master's degree from university in Germany. And, and he's headed back to go to law school, again, because that's what his dad wants him to do. And on this journey, as the story goes, he encounters this, this storm. And in this storm, he's so terrified that like any good Catholic, he began to pray to the saints. And he said, if, if you will just save me, God, I will serve you for the rest of my life. Well, he lived. And in doing that, to the displeasure of his father, <laughs> he changed careers and ended the monastic order. This is his story. And he devoted his life to God. He'd go on to earn two more bachelor's degrees and a doctorate. So if you're counting, that's five degrees, <laughs> which is just insane. Uh, here, here's the beautiful part of Luther's story from, from my perspective. Luther, when he entered the monastic order, he was all in. He wanted to give his life to God. He, he wanted to follow on his commitment that he made. I'm going to give everything to serve the Lord. And he did. But in his pursuit of God, in his effort to understand who God was, in his effort to submit to his authority in the monastic order, in his effort to be the best Christian that he could be, he began to experience tension in his heart. Because what he believed and what he did, there was a discrepancy. What he believed and what he was reading in the scriptures and what he saw in the church, there was a discrepancy. And as he wrestled through this in his pursuit of God, something began to transform inside of Luther. He began to see things that this, this has to change. Ultimately, Luther's struggle with God changed the course of history. Now, here's the connection. As with Luther, every single one of us, every person in here, has the opportunity to engage in the journey of pursuing the things of God. Every one of us. We, we have the opportunity to discover for ourselves what we believe and why. You know, when we're younger, we just kind of adopt the beliefs of our family, and the culture that we're part of, at some point you have to start asking bigger questions. You have to start asking why. And, and on this journey of just exploring your faith and reading the scriptures and saying, God, I want to know you, you, there's kind of some bumps along the way. Anybody? Like there's things that you go, I don't fully get this. I don't understand this. Why do we do this? What is going on in my heart? As you pursue God, you begin to see yourself clearly, and you begin to see God more clearly. And here's normally what we discover. We, we begin to discover our inadequacies and our limitations and God's glory and God's power and his sovereignty. This is Luther's journey, and this can be ours too. This is actually where God works. He works in this place of us pursuing and working out what it means to be his. This is where God speaks and directs in our hunger and our pursuit of him. It's where he meets with us. Think about every character. Just, just, just think about when you read the Bible and you read about characters in the Bible, what is their story? Their story is wrestling with understanding God's call in their life. 
Their story is running into inconsistencies. Their story is realizing, like Peter, I'm really a human. I put my foot in my mouth a lot. This is, this is the journey. In the midst of the struggle, God used everybody that we read in Scripture to, to change the world. And, and I believe that God still works this way today. And so here's the question that I've been wrestling with as we've been preparing for this series. Am I, and I'm speaking for myself, but I, I would put this question for you to consider. Am I in an all-out pursuit of the things of God? Am I all in? Do I want to know him? In 1517, Luther, he posted his thoughts in the famous 95 Theses. And these were just 95 really reflections on the Catholic Church, the role of the Pope, the practices of the people. They were statements about the way that he understood how the people of God should operate according to the Scriptures. So he, he made this public statement that really pointed out all the darkness that had crept its way into the church. He highlighted the way that man's authority began to twist things contrary to Scripture. Now, you, you, you would hope, you, you'd like to hope, you'd like to hope that the church would go, huh, we've got some things to think about and some things to adjust and some things to change. What you're pointing out is actually true. We've added something. Did that happen? <laughs> no. It doubled down. In 1521, Luther's excommunicated. <laughs> like, this guy is a problem. Let's get rid of him. And the denomination party begins. This, this is the story. I'll give you a visual. Here's a, a rough family tree. <laughs> Again, there's, there's hundreds and hundreds more now, but this is kind of the beginning of the branching. You see the first one, kind of. It's not super big. 1054 is kind of the first one. But then it's just like... It starts to balloon out, right? Today, there's thousands of more divisions. Now, if you follow history, this is what's so sad. If you follow history, within 100 years, does anybody know what happened within 100 years? Anybody, any history buffs in the room? Okay, it, it, within 100 years, you have something called the 30 Years War. Do you know what the 30 Years War was? It, it was this battle over we actually know the things of God better than you. And all of these religious branches began to battle and fight and kill each other in the name of God. There's estimates like 25 to 30% of the population was obliterated. You think God's like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I had in mind. <laughs> it's, a sad, it's a sad part of our, our history. Okay, let's get to our first one. That's just the <laughs> backdrop, my goodness. So, onto the solace. The first one, sola gratia, grace alone. Everyone say, grace alone. Grace alone. Grace alone. This, this came out of, again, Luther's struggle. And as he's working out being a monk, the questions that he had around a lot of things, but indulgences was one of them. Indulgences was this system set up by the Catholic Church really to kind of right your wrongs. And they went so far... 
as to give people the opportunity to the right the wrongs of people who had already died. That's where it gets weird. If you just give a certain fee to the church, you can pay for a deceased relative to be saved from purgatory. <laughs> or at the very least, you could cover up your problems and your sins and your issues. Just give enough and you'll be good. Now, this seems really messed up, like just saying it. I, I hear it in the room like, ugh. But there's modern expressions of this today. If you think about the prosperity gospel, if you turn on your tele television and watch like some Christian things, you're like, what am I buying and why? It's the same type of stuff. When we get our hands on stuff and we try to form it for ourselves, Luther looked at this activity and was like, where is this in the Bible? I mean, he raised the red flag. He's like, ah, I know everybody's cool with this. I don't, I'm not cool with this. I don't think this is right. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter one. <clears throat> this is a core text when discussing this first sola. Ephesians one, verse three. These are the words of Paul to a body of believers in Ephesus, and he describes to them what they have in Jesus and why. Here, listen. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Beautifully written, beautifully described. Paul tells the believers that every spiritual blessing from heaven has been given to us because of Jesus. Jesus has redeemed and forgiven all of us. And this has happened not because of an activity or a payment or bribery or our impressiveness or our hard works. This happened according to the riches of his by grace alone, we're welcomed into the family of God. By grace alone, we're adopted. By grace alone. Everyone say, grace alone. Grace alone. Grace alone. I love the language Paul uses. The riches, the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us. Frankly, I think we're a bit uncomfortable with this idea. Which is why I think throughout history we twist it into something else. Because it just seems too good to be true. There's nothing like it on the face of the planet. A grace that is poured out freely 
and lavishly expecting nothing in return. I'll give you an example. You, you get the emails. You receive this in your mailbox at home. You, you see it when you walk through the stores. That big free sign. You seen that? Or, or, you know, in a mailer. Claim your free reward. Or if somebody calls you on the phone and leaves a message, you can get your free whatever. Your free car. You're going to have a free house. When I see something like that, my first thought is, what's the catch? Anybody else? Like, eh, not buying it. What am, what am I going to be on the hook for? We don't for a second, we don't for a second believe it or accept it because nothing is free. That's not how life works. It's not how it works. I think we feel the same way about grace. Actually, we treat grace the same way sometimes. We don't actually live in the freedom and the beauty of God's grace because it seems too good to be true. We've got to pay our dues, right? We've got got to put the work in. We've got to at least give back somehow to accept the gift. Maybe we don't think that, but we live that. We take a minute to slow down and look around We're swimming in grace every single day. I love the lyrics from the song we sang last week on Easter, how he loves. If grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. Beautiful song lyrics. This week I was sitting in my office pulling together kind of these thoughts over the last few weeks, and I was wrecked by grace just wrecked by it. I don't know how to not be wrecked by grace. There, there's, there's been moments in my life, one of them was at my uh, rehearsal dinner when I married Katie. And it was embarrassing. <laughs> because you know how at a rehearsal dinner you're supposed to get up and kind of thank everybody for being there? Yeah. So I stood up at my rehearsal dinner and I wept like a baby for like 20 minutes. <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't even thank everybody for being there. It was a moment of like being punched in the soul with grace because I looked around the room and I thought, my goodness. This week I was feeling the weight of it and, and I, I just closed my laptop and I just, I, I just started paying attention. I just took a minute to just pay attention. Um, and, and I... After the fact, I took a picture of my desk. Uh, and I, I started looking at the things that were right in front of me. And, of course, on, on the right there is a picture of my wife. And, and she's been, she's been a, a, an incredible grace to me. She's an amazing lady, and I've experienced grace through relationship. She's a gift that I don't deserve. The only reason that I met... Katie is because I didn't want to go to med school right away because I hated school, and I moved from Michigan to Washington on a long-term vacation, and she happened to go to the church that the family that I was visiting went to. That's how I met Katie. Grace. The picture was actually given to me by one of our friends at a birthday dinner that we had. 
And I started thinking about friendships and people that surround me. And when you start to do that and you realize people that are around you, grace. It's just grace, just overcome by grace. Uh, the little bobblehead there, you can't read it, but that's uh, the trophy from March Madness this year. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't say it has nothing to do with right picks. It has to do with everybody failing miserably at picking people. Uh, I just did it less worse. So I got this little bobblehead. But when I look at this bobblehead, do you know what, I, you know what came to my mind? All of the people on the staff. All of the people that I actually got to pl- play that silly game with. And, and their impact on my life over the years. Who they are, what they bring to the table, what we've learned together. That jade plant, is Rick Davies in here this morning? Might be next service. Oh, there he is. It's for my friend Rick. Rick came in. I've got three, two or three of those in my office. And that thing uh, started... I think just the leaf or something, like, like, it's amazing how those things grow. But I looked at this and I thought, my gosh, Rick Davies is a, is a grace in my life. Not just to me, but to our church, to my kids. My son learns from Rick who Jesus is on Sunday mornings. Grace, that's grace. I've got a lilac bush that's finally starting to sprout that he gave me a couple years ago. And I look out at that lilac bush and I think, oh, man, that's grace. What a gift. The golf ball that's right there. Can you see the golf ball? That's for my friend Roosevelt. That's grace embodied. Do you know Roosevelt? Uh, what a gift of grace. Uh, on that golf ball, it says Prowler. It reminds me of this community that we live in, those that serve our country. and It is a grace to live where we live with the people that we live with. The, the block puzzle that's kind of wrapped in a bunch of kids' stuff that remind me of my kids regularly, that block puzzle was from my mother-in-law. It was a stocking stuffer. <laughs> and it seems really silly, but again, as I'm being overwhelmed by grace and being brought to tears, I look at this block puzzle, and she very specifically every year knows her kids and, her in, and the spouses of her kids that she very specifically chooses gifts at Christmas that, that will bless the people that receive them. She knows I love puzzles, so she put that in there. That's great. I don't deserve that. Grace. I can keep going. Everything there. But you get the point, right? That we're surrounded by grace if we have eyes to see it. In fact, we're surrounded by grace if we slow down enough to see it. Now, you may be thinking, well, I, I didn't win March Madness this year. I didn't get a plant from, great, from, from Rick. In fact, you might be walking through the hardest season of your life. We have those. Grace is still surrounding you. You're surrounded by it. God's goodness, God's grace Grace upon grace upon grace. And most of the time we walk through life, most of the time I walk through life so focused on the problems or too focused on what I lack and maybe what other, people's ha- other people have, or I get caught up in the busyness of trying to prove my worth and my value and my identity 
that in my faith, and maybe you can connect with it, I can get so caught up in trying to show God that I'm worthy of grace, but all of the striving keeps me from actually living in it. Grace is yours. Paul says, the spiritual blessings of heaven are yours. It's been poured out. You, you have been lavished with the grace of God. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. He, he knew your name. He knew my name before we were named. He knows you. He's lavished his grace upon you. A few questions as I wrap this up. Caitlin, you can come up and join me wherever you are. Here's the first thing I'd ask. Have you accepted God's grace over your life through Jesus? And I, and take a minute to think about that. Write that question down and take it with you today. Because I know the journey, personally I know the journey of being a part of a community of faith and living on a second-hand experience of grace. It wasn't personal. It was my parents. It was my friends. Even as I got older, I'm still learning what it means to accept God's grace. Have, have you received grace over your life? Have you accepted grace? Do you believe in God's grace over your life? That he sees you, that he knows you, all the good and all the bad, and he has given his life for you because he loves you and he's lavishing you with his goodness. Do you actually trust that today? Do you believe that for yourself? The second question, where can you identify grace this week? I, I would just encourage you to take a moment in your week. Maybe this, it's this afternoon. <clears throat> Maybe it's when you go to work and you sit down at your desk or whatever you do for work. <laughs> Just look around and take note. Take notice. A lot of times the things that become so routine and normal for us, like the mountains and the ocean that we forget that they're there, man, we got to slow down and remember that they're there. Anybody else? It's like it just reminds us I think when we slow down enough, we're reminded of God's presence and his goodness. Where can you identify? And the third question, uh, where can you extend grace this week? We are a people of grace, and it's been poured out. We've been lavish with grace. And as a people who have received, how do we share it? How do we share grace with our friends and our neighbors? How do we share grace in our marriages and with our kids? Here's a cool thing. As we work out our faith, again, like Luther had to, you have plenty of opportunity to practice being gracious. <laughs> you have so many opportunities <laughs> to learn forgiveness. You have so many opportunities to extend what's not deserved. What does it look like this week? Where can you extend that? Will you stand with me as I pray for us?
Jesus, this morning, we just, we give you thanks. Because of who you are and what you have extended, what you have offered us. Help us to be a people who receive and live in the spiritual blessings and goodness of heaven. That we would be a kingdom people. And Lord, for those of us that have have yet to receive the good news of your grace, take our hearts today. And we surrender to you. Pray this in your name. Amen.